and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. It is great to see so many of you tuning in for another week. Thank you to everyone who has sent through ideas on who we can invite onto the show as a guest. I always add them to our love to interview list. And remember that this podcast is about you as the listener. So never hold back. If you think there is someone out there that you think would make a fabulous guest, just DM them through on our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us. Today, I want to introduce you to Prue Woods, one of the most divine women I know. She is a friend of mine and her daughter, Rosie, used to go to school with me. Rosie has anachondroplasia. I don't know if I said that correctly. It's a type of short limb dwarfism. In this episode, we have a great chat about that language, about how Rosie was diagnosed and some of the worries that Prue has as a mum and the challenges that their whole family faced. We also chat at the end about what we can do as a society in this space. Prue Woods is a learning and support teacher and the author of a beautiful little book, Rosie May Blue, which we will put the link in the show notes and we talk about this throughout the episode. When I think of Rosie, I think of the swimming and athletics carnivals at Negs. I honestly cried at every carnival watching Rosie get in and give 150% at everything she did. I was blown away by her resilience and her absolute grit and determination. So I want to acknowledge New England Girls School in this space because I know for us personally, for my family, they were always so supportive of our girls getting out there and having a go. I want to tell you a little story about my daughter, Jess. She has a kidney disease. I think most of you know that. And the moments that I think I have laughed and cried the most have been at these sporting carnivals. There is one time in particular I'm thinking about. A few years ago, Jess had a secondary condition as a result of all the medication she'd been on for her kidneys. And in this scenario, she woke up one morning and she just couldn't wait there. And we spent weeks trying to work out what was going on. Finally, the doctors were able to tell us what it was and she'd been in a wheelchair this whole time. So the doctor said, what we need to do is start to increase her load slowly, you know, 30 minutes out of the chair, 30 minutes back in the wheelchair, 30 minutes out, 30 minutes back in to kind of build up her stamina in standing and moving, walking, running. Anyway, it just happened to be the Negs Athletics Carnival the next day. And obviously being an athlete's carnival, it's on grass. So we suggested to Jess not to take her wheelchair and just sit up on the hill, hang out with her friends and have a great afternoon. Flinny and I were standing at the end of the 100 meter race watching our middle daughter Katie run when I turned around to the 100 meter start line and I saw Jess lined up ready to go. You know that moment in the movie Grease where John Travolta hits his mate's shoulder to turn around and look at Sandy in that last scene? That was this moment. I've whacked Flinny as we both turn around to see Jess lining up the gun shoots. It's like all the world goes into slow motion. Jess takes off in a sprint and it's like, I cannot tell you, those seconds felt like minutes. 
she takes off and she takes about 10 steps and then you start to see the tears and then you start to see the slowing down of the running to a walk and then to a hobble and then the whole school that was in that section of athletes carnival rallies around to cheer Jess on every single step of that 100 meter race when she collapsed at the finish line with exhaustion and pain. This kind of determination that I see in my daughter is the determination that I see in Rosie. She has the strength that will carry her throughout life to face adversity with courage and willpower and self-belief. This episode is a beautiful story of Prue, Rosie and her family. So today, everyone, I'd really like to introduce you to Prue Woods. I've known Prue for quite a number of years now. Our daughters actually went to the same school at Negs in Armidale, and Prue Woods is a learning and support teacher at that school. Welcome, Prue, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you so much for having me, Els. I'm honoured from listening to your previous podcast. I'm absolutely honoured to be a part of this, and I'm I have cherished listening to the episodes so far. They have been truly amazing. Thank you. I think um, today will be a great episode because you and I have had lots of conversations over the years about, I guess, some of our struggles. And, you know, I think there's a lot that I know I'm unaware of in your situation that will be really good to kind of unpack today because I know I said this to you earlier I often think about if I don't know it, I'm sure there's other people in the world that don't know it too. So we'll be getting stuck into the challenges that you face throughout your life today. But before we do that, I love to ask our guests a couple of questions to get to know you. And the first one is, if you were to use an animal to describe yourself, what animal would you choose and why? When I first think about that, I go, I truly wish I was a sloth because I love my sleep. So there's part of me, I, I be, believe it's my spirit animal to be a sloth. Unfortunately, my life doesn't allow for me to be the sloth. And I think I'm more of a mere cat, you know, a little bit on edge. And I'm always anticipating the danger or the next challenge that's going to be thrown at me. So yes, I'd have to say a mere cat. I just love that you're talking about like, I see sloth and meerkats as opposite ends of the spectrum right like there's not very much that they have in common so it's like I could be an eagle or a fish (laughs) yes it's exactly so that tells you a lot kind of where I'd like my life to be but it's not there at this point (laughs) no and I'm sure we're going to get into this because that meerkat is a great description of what it's like to live with constant medical stuff in your life, right? Like you just never know what is coming up or what could change on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, but at any given moment, something can change significantly that has a huge impact on your entire life, well-being and family and professionally. I absolutely agree. And you kind of are lulled. We often feel we're lulled into this false sense of, wow, Rosie's really healthy. And then we have our next appointment at Westmead and they go, hmm, there's some potential for some surgery here and it's it's like running into the back of a truck because it wasn't on our radar and and the meerkat can't um predict that that's going to happen either so that's even more of a shock i guess 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, there's lots of things that I want to ask you about that today. We're definitely going to be getting into, you know, when you heading down to appointment, how you prep for that, when you get the news, how do you handle that? Like, uh, is there anything that we can give to the audience to prepare them anymore? And there might not be, but, you know, we've had a couple of podcasts released already around the medical world and it's always wonderful to have a chat to different people from different perspectives and from their experience, what they've taken away and what lessons they've learned in that process. The other question that I love to start with is, did you have a favorite place or room when you were growing up? And what was that room? I don't think I necessarily had a favorite room, but I was one of those kids who loved cubbies. And so if it was a rainy day outside, I grew up on a farm. So rainy days were always incredibly boring, but then you'd take opportunity to make a really cool cubby behind the lounge or underneath a table and I was a real bookworm so that was my ultimate day to be you know have this amazing cubby with a good book and on a beautiful sunny day I'd do the same thing outside you know find a fabulous tree and um, I think when you live on a farm you don't have the opportunity to kind of go next door and play with your friends so you have to use your imagination a lot and um, I guess my friends were my animals and you know they'd be in there with the cubby with me and having a fabulous day with whatever story was happening in my head. It's funny you should say that because my kids did that this morning. They pulled out every sheet from the linen cupboard and made a cubby. And I remember sitting there watching them doing it thinking, I am going to have to clean this up. Like even if I get them to clean it up, they're not going to fold it properly. They're not going to put – and I'm not neat, right? So when I say not fold properly, I literally mean – fold up the four sides. Yes. It's not like it needs to be ironed and packed away, but it's it's so different when you're a parent, isn't it? Yes. It's like you want these yes. kids to do all these fabulous fun things and you watch with these eyes thinking, yes. oh my God, they're having so much fun and I'm going to be the person left with all the mess. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and then as I was driving out, I looked over to the left and there's yoga mats in our tree, <laughs> hot <laughs> pink yoga mats awesome. in our tree. And I was like, what is that? And I pulled up and the girls have made a cubby in the tree with the yoga mats. It's raining today as well. And I was like, mm, I don't know how good they're going to be anymore. No. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know the joys of parenting, right? Yes. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I do come back to, I want them to, if they're playing and they're playing with each other and they're playing quietly yes. or they're playing outside, I'm a big believer in letting them go. The mess we can deal with, but you know, the friendships that they're making with each other that can be a yes. lifelong friendship is just absolutely. so beautiful. And I think, yeah. um, yes, absolutely. In the day of screens, you know, it's awesome that they are still doing that. Mm. And we've talked a bit in this podcast about that particular thing and it often comes up in this question around what did we do as kids or what was your favourite room? It's often coming up around how much screen time our kids are getting now. Mm. My daughter was actually looking up the um, netball rules and I said to her, I said, pop that computer away. And she's like, mum, I'm looking up the netball rules. And I was like, oh, and in my head I'm weighing that up. It's great that she's looking yes. that up. It's something that's going to involve her being outside, but she's on the computer to look it up. And I think sometimes yes. we need to let go of our expectations or what our belief systems are because the world is changing. Like that yes. is how our kids get information today. Going back to being a bookworm, that's kind of the realisation I've come to. I didn't have a screen, but I used books to fulfil that. That's what I did. So, And you're right, It's we're kind of transitioning you know, we hammer read books, read books, 
it's it's changing. It is evolving how and it, particularly how they're getting information. And I find myself in the same situation quite often, you know. But I'm looking up how to do X, Y, and Z, and it's taking that moment to go, okay, it's still a value, so let it be. Yes. Yeah. And this is coming from a teacher. So, Pruy, yes. you're a teacher at NEGS. You're a learning and support teacher. Tell us a little bit about your career so far. So, I actually do both of my degrees at UNE and really enjoyed it. I actually went to NEGS myself. So, made the great big move to UNE once I had finished year 12. For anyone that doesn't know that we're talking about NEGS is in the same town as UNE. So, when she yes. says the ba- great big move, it's about yes. uh, yeah. 500 meters. No, it's a That's couple right. of Ks up the road. <laughs> That's right. Uh, a creature of habit, I must say. And so I actually went to a small school as a child. And so it, it was a natural path for me. I started teaching in small schools, small rural schools, which I absolutely love. You're on your toes. You are everything. You know, some days you are admin. If the admin person isn't in, you're doing K to six. You're trying to deal with everyone's needs, maintenance. If they've got an issue coming in, but I loved that. I loved the drive and I loved that it gave me the opportunity to work with such a large array of children. And then when the beautiful Rosie came along, I, I don't know, I guess I feel that your path is mapped out for you in some ways. And that really helped me to go, yeah, I've got this. Some days I don't feel that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, plenty of days that we don't feel that. <laughs> So I'm, I'm thinking everyone's going to be wondering when we keep talking about Rosie, like we're kind of like talking around it yes. a little bit. So we probably yes. should just mention about what we're talking about when we're talking about Rosie. So Rosie's your youngest daughter. She is. And I'm actually going to take a step back and talk about the birth of my eldest daughter, Ellie, who's about four and a half years older than Rosie. And so um, I think my husband and I had been married for about four years and we always talked about having children and we were so excited um, when I was pregnant with Ellie and I can, I'm sure you can relate to this, that feeling of when, you know, the labour is over and this this little bundle passed to you and I explain it, I always explain it to Ellie, like I felt like I had won the lottery. It was like someone had handed me a million dollars, this beautiful baby and I felt, I guess it's that maternal rush of love, like I know every hair in your head I know every finger I know every toe and I I love you and I walk through fire for you and we just had the best time with Ellie and of course then you want the next child to come along I fell pregnant again and it was so exciting and to go through that with Ellie she was old enough to have understanding of that and I remember saying all the time I actually feel really sorry for this baby who's coming along because we were doing the usual things. I was still working. We were doing ballet classes. We were doing swimming classes. We were doing music classes. And I know this is your life too. There's never, there's, feels like there's hardly ever a moment to spare. And I go, Oh, this poor baby has no idea what type of family it's coming into. And I also had, (laughs) it made me question my intuition. I also in the back of my mind and I'd say to people, I don't know. Something doesn't feel right here. I just want this baby out. I just want this baby out. And I had had a friend, you know, you go through the tests, which particularly pick up Down syndrome. And for some reason, I think because that's a a disability that we potentially see more of in the media, which I think is fabulous, but something that we know, a disability that we are familiar with, I kind of almost felt like I was going to have a baby with Down syndrome. And so I would think in my head, 
and maybe all expectant mothers have these thoughts, how I would deal with that, how our lives would change and how I would cope with that. For some reason, I just felt something wasn't right. Throughout the pregnancy? Yeah, it was really weird. Anyway, both pregnancies, I didn't go into labour. Ellie was so excited to be having a baby sister or a brother um, and thank goodness she was a girl because she was either going to be named after Bob the Builder or from this other cartoon she watched, there was a little sister, Rosie. So, thank goodness, oh. I didn't have Bob the Builder. It was Rosie. And oh, I remember you, you named your second daughter after what your first daughter yes. wanted to name. Was there any equation in there for mum and dad or you just knew that you were going to do what Ellie wanted? Well, I must say her official name because my husband said, I am not naming my child after a flower. We are not hippies. And so her correct name is Amelia Rose, but sneakily she does go by Rosie. I didn't know she had another name. Yes, and she That's- didn't for a long time on official documents, you know, and at school it will come up as Amelia Woods. And it took her a long time to realise, That's me. I didn't know that. They're <laughs> <laughs> doing roll call and it's like, Amelia, yes, and she's Amelia. looking around the room being yes. like, where is Amelia? She's a naughty <laughs> kid. She's yes. not replying. <laughs> That's exactly. And teachers often are, I didn't realise that on sport rolls. Eh? We're waiting for Amelia. Amelia Woods hasn't come to hockey this week. <laughs> That's me, but my parents don't call me that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So Amelia Rose Woods, is that it? That's it. And I can remember I saw that moment when she was handed to me, still had that rush of maternal love, but I was suspicious. You know, you kind of, I think mums do this tick, 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 tick. And I went, I love you, but I don't know you yet. I just remember that feeling. No one questioned anything. Here's your beautiful baby. We went through breastfeeding. And it wasn't until, you know, you have visits by the community nurse and she would just be giving me looks, looking at me, looking at the baby, and I'm like, I'm not in my pyjamas. I vacuumed. My other child is happy and clean and fed. What is this about? And then finally in the end, I think she was moving positions, and she said, I just feel that... um Rosie's out of proportion and I feel that um, there's something there that maybe needs to be investigated. And I can't explain to you, but I probably, I, you probably know that feeling of feeling like the blood just exits your body, that something is wrong. Mm. How old was Rosie when this happened? Six weeks, six weeks. Okay. So I, I think within days I, it would the next checked up with our GP and I had told him what the nurse had said and I could literally see him do the same, you know. Mm. He became very pale and he talked about skeletal dysplasia, which I had never heard of in my life. I must have kept it in my brain somewhere. So, of course, you go, uh, uh, we'll check in, like, you know, we don't know this. So her head looked larger than the rest of her body but everyone was saying, her dad, her dad's uh, ex rugby player, really big build, and they're going. She's just got his bullhead. That's what it is. Mm. And mm. but of course they're like, no, 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 no. So Doctor Google comes into play, and I kept coming up with with things that I could see physically on her. This great big long word. I didn't know how to say it. Achondroplasia. Achondroplasia. I didn't know how to say it. And this was actually fell over Easter, which was attached, I will never forget this, 
It was attached to Anzac Day. So that was the longest period. You know how you have three days off for Easter and then there was Anzac Day. Yeah. And I was yeah. adamant that this baby had achondroplasia. It was the longest. And, of course, you you keep going. You know, who are the specialists? Who Who's the guru in Australia about achondroplasia? And, you know. And at this point you still didn't have any diagnosis or anything no. and this is the rabbit warren right of dr google yeah. like i think we yeah. all go to dr google very quickly yeah, absolutely it's very normal for people to do that but it's run you run such a risk because you get all of this story before you even get into the room with the doctor absolutely i didn't even ring my gp i actually i had found phone numbers over that long weekend and i phoned you know at that point we were living three hours from westmead so you know again the guru of Australia happened to be at Westmead Children's Hospital. And I, as soon as it was 9 o'clock on the next day after the public holiday, I phoned Westmead. And, um, sorry. Just take a moment. And, um, I think my husband had gone to work. I put Ellie in front of Sesame Street. And I said, um, I need to talk to someone. I think my baby has achondroplasia. And it, the next part of the journey took off from there. And, you know, we were, we were at Westmead. I don't even know if we went back to the GP. I think we did, must have for a referral, but within, I think it was within weeks, within days. Um, and we are, we are country bumpkins. We had never driven in Sydney. So the M4, you know, this is really confronting and it was the greyest day. It was in actually, what is it? It's pretty close to um, 11 years to the day actually. It was a day in May and we made our trip down and um, and sure enough, you know, it looked like physically she certainly had all of the traits of achondroplasia and I think on our next trip to Westmead, they did a blood test to confirm. Can I ask further listeners what achondrophasia is? Because they, I don't know what that yeah. word means. So it's a form of skeletal dysplasia, which means that your bones grow differently to you and I. This is my version because I'm not a doctor. No, no, give us your version. I think we <laughs> okay. have to find a way to put language around it, right? I, my version of Jess's kidney disease is completely different to the doctor's version, <laughs> yes. but it's my way of explaining it that yes. makes sense in my world. So, yes, um, I would love your, your definition or your explanation of it. So in, within our body we have a gene which controls a protein and this gene is called the FGFR3 gene. And I haven't thought about that gene for several years, so I hope I've got that right. Anyway, this we've got a protein in our body that ironically controls the growth of our long bones, in particular, so our arms and our legs. And when she was forming in my tummy, so she, this is how I describe her because I've had this conversation with a number of classes. So it goes, okay, Rosie's developing eyes. Copy that information and she copied that information from her dad and she has the most beautiful blue eyes. Okay, her hair is growing, copy that information and her body copied her dad's hair again, it's beautiful blonde hair. So when it copied the information of how her long bones should grow, it's like there was a spelling mistake. It, her little body just didn't copy that information correctly. And that's all it is, just this little tweak, you know, it's like one little letter or one little number 
didn't get copied correctly. So her torso is average height. In Australia, if you aren't short-statured, we can refer to other people as being of average height. I refer to Rosie as being short-statured. In America, they use the term little people, and I feel in Great Britain it's something, it's restricted growth. So it's not used as dwarfism. That's not a word that we use. She has a form of dwarfism, and, yes, that is correct. In In the medical world, yes, she does have a form of dwarfism, which is very, as someone interested in semantics, this intrigues me, all of this, because it's how you sell sell it, isn't it? And in those early days, I, I had actually taught somebody with achondroplasia, but never tweaked. This girl was delightful. I was in my 20s. She was bubbly. She was effervescent. She was smart. It was in a small country school. I never even tweaked that this kid was different. Anyway, I was thankfully, again, the path of the universe led me to being able to be in contact with this mum. And she said, this is my advice this is me. I don't use the term dwarf because it brings up lots of different connotations. You know, we want them to be viewed as a human being. We are all human beings regardless of disability or condition or gender or skin colour. We are all human beings. But, however, being on the journey and having met lots of short-statured people, I know that there are people within the community who are comfortable with the word dwarf and I know I can think of this little boy that I was at a short statured convention with once and he relished in it he loved saying yes I am he loved that connotation and he loved that label it's not a label that I have used with Rosie I have always said short statured and you know what you do you I think we need to be respectful my advice to people is always ask is there a particular way you'd like me to refer to such and such as condition Get it from the horse's mouth. Would you say to ask Rosie or would you say to ask the parents? Because I haven't asked this. I haven't even thought to ask this of you or Rosie. And I guess I've never had to describe what I see or, you know, what I've never Mm. been in a position, but I probably would ask the mom. Is it something that we could speak to Rosie about? It's so interesting. And again, I'm such a strong believer in the power of the universe within this last month, within this last couple of weeks, this is no longer – I actually – Rosie was just eating her lunch here before and she's like, what are you even doing this for? And I'm like, oh, you know what? I should have asked you if you were okay with me to talk about our journey of living with achondroplasia. And um, she actually went silent and I thought, oh, my gosh, she's not going to let me do it. Mm. And she said, yeah, sure, and kept on munching. But in this last couple of weeks, there has been this massive shift. She's just turned 11 in March, and this is no longer about the mum. Up until this point, I'd say, yeah, run it by me. And you know what? She would have gone, I don't know, ask my mum. But I can see this this movement as she is a tween, as we we use that terminology now. And I just said to her then, because she's like, why – why does this upset you? Like, why, why does telling this upset you? And I was trying to tell her that, explain to her, and you've got to be very careful because I have an average height daughter as well. You, you know, I don't want to be viewed as going, well, I'm upset by the challenges that you will have in life because we all have challenges in life. The interesting thing you should say that right now, because I said to my husband as I was driving in, you know, Greg, from our experience, 
Is there anything that you'd want me to say on this podcast today around having a child that has had a medical condition growing up? And he said that it's not just the child, that everyone in the family goes through it in a very different way. And I think sometimes the outside world doesn't realize that, Mm. you know, it is, it impacts each and every single person in the family, rightly or wrongly, upside down, you know, like my kids last week had said to me, my middle child had said to me, this is so hard, mom. And my response was in my head, you think it's hard for you? You should see your sister. And then I thought, oh, that is not what she needs to hear today. She needs me to hold that space for her and just say, yes, no one wins in this scenario, but we're doing this together. And I'm sure we'll get to it. We've got lots of little tactics and strategies we use to get through it, which I'm sure you and I will get to later. But interesting that you say that, you know, up until now, it's been about potentially you as the mom or the dad and people refer to you about what's going on. But there's this shift in at the 11 year old and we saw it probably at Jess at 12, where it does start to shift and they start to have a story or language around it. And it no longer bypasses us in that story. Yes. And I love it, but I don't know how to negotiate it. So this is it's like a whole new world we're navigating now because it's not about me. It never was about me, but I was actually, this is how I describe it to Rosie half an hour ago. I was the captain of the ship, but now I'm no longer the captain of the ship. You are the captain of the ship. And she said, but I want you to be the captain of the ship. And I said, <laughs> I will always be your first mate. I will always be your first mate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is such a beautiful description that brings tears to my eyes because she's going to be navigating this shift as well, as well as you, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, it's not just me. She's really struggled with her anxiety in the last – it's really bizarre. Before this transition, at, she was really struggling at school. So then it becomes another journey for her beautiful teacher, Mrs. Nixon, you know, this is a, a first, I think, having a short stature child in her classroom, but my gosh, she's doing an amazing job. So she's actually, you know, and that's my message to the world. <sighs> if you see someone in a wheelchair or if you see someone who looks different to you and you think that they have no awareness in the shopping center, who is pushing the wheelchair? Who is standing by them? Because they, as you were saying, it is a journey that we are all going on is that their mom is that their big brother who's pushing the wheelchair and I know Ellie was just saying you know it's really confronting even walking down the mall in Armadale or going into the shopping center because we I have known from day one everyone stares and I have actually trained myself over 11 years because I find it so I'm a very private person so now you're on display you can't hide the fact Mm. that there's something physically different here. You are on display for the world to do with what it will. And I have trained myself not to look. I can actually do a whole day shopping and I will not make – so I've probably been quite rude to people that I've known. I will not make eye contact. I can converse with my family, get on it, do my job. And anyway, two weeks ago, Rosie's like, people stare at me. And I had no idea that she had realized this because it was me. Mm. I was – I'm the mum. I'm noticing – I'm holding her hand and thinking that everything's okay, but she has just started to be aware that everyone's looking. And Ellie piped up and said, yeah, they do. And I give them the biggest death stares if to say, yeah, you want a piece of me? And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even, you know. 
Yes. Yeah. It's everybody's journey. And I guess too, I know we have a very different experience because Jess's disease, you don't notice that it comes up once a year and you do notice it then, but we're usually behind closed doors. So people don't experience her when she's unwell. She might put on 10 or 15 kilos. She's got a kidney disease. And when she's unwell, she can put on 10 or 15 kilos over a weekend and she gets so swollen. I remember a sister-in-law walking in once, my uh, my sister-in-law and saying, you can't leave the house. And I was like, pardon? She's like, you can't go out like that will frighten people and I was so used to it we we live with it right it's our everyday whereas for other people it's not and that's I guess with Rosie when you were saying it you were describing you were saying that her torso is the size that you would expect it to be is that right but her legs are shorter is that yeah that's right so she's out of proportion so that's I guess why people do that second glance because they're trying to work out how that works yeah I've never noticed that by the way like I, I've I've noticed that she's a different size, but I've never noticed that disproportion before. And it's really interesting listening to you talk because, you know, I've had Rosie in our lives for many years and listening to you, I'm like, oh, yes or no, or, you know, um, and yes. I've never asked the questions, which is yeah. what you're saying is helpful to ask the questions. But I guess that's going to be a whole new journey for Rosie when people come up and start asking her now, because she may not have been the person that they asked previously. And she too is very... I guess a private person. Actually, I must tell you this story. In the last couple of weeks, as she processes, she's like, my life is actually, she's just realized my life potentially is going to look a lot different to my friends. And um, she said, when I'm sad, I don't know what to say. She has a little friend called Ava. I don't know what to say to her. And I said, in my experience, it's always best just to be honest. Why can't you say, when she says, what's wrong, why can't you say, sometimes I feel really sad about being short-statured. And she turned around and she looked at me and she said, but she doesn't know I am. <laughs> and I went, Rose. <laughs> and she said, have you been telling people that I'm short-statured? Oh, I shouldn't laugh. That's so beautiful. <laughs> no, you've got it. I know. You have to. You have to laugh. You have to find the humor. And I'm like, Rose. I think you'll find she knows. I think you'll find your entire class knows. Well, how would they know if you haven't told them? And so that was, we've had these really big conversations. For me, that just floored me because I thought I had done such a good job for preparing her. And we talk about being short-statured all the time. She just wasn't aware that anyone else realized. Oh, if that's the most beautiful moment, I think, you know, that I've heard in months just around that because it's just her norm. It's just her norm. And as parents, we worry so much, isn't it? I was thinking today, what is it that's my biggest fear? Where does my anxiety come from around Jess's illness? And it comes from first and foremost, is she actually going to make it? Which she should. There's, you know, There's no reason. There's another condition that it could be, but it's unlikely. So that's totally on me, that anxiety around that. But if I remove that and I'm like, yes, she's definitely going to make it. What is it that I get so anxious about? And I think it's other people's reaction to her as she walks through school. It's not after school. It's as she goes through these next seven years of high school and the potential of bullying or comments that may bust her self-worth and self-esteem so much that she'll spend the next 20, 20, 30, 40 years trying to find a sense of self again. And she's never said this. This is me as a mum. This is what I worry about. This is what keeps me awake at night. I don't know if that's your experience. Absolutely. And in those early days when I was Dr. Googling and 
Googling achondroplasia, there's lots of negative stuff on the internet. Once you go down that rabbit hole, and that was my biggest concern, how will the world ever accept this child? And, you know, my sadness wasn't the fact that I had a child with a physical disability. My sadness was from I know I won't be there to protect her from all of those occasions. However, there is a flip side. Having Ellie, and this is for me, and I know Jess is your eldest, so you haven't had to negotiate this yet. We've raised, right, once we had a diagnosis, as a family we're like, we vow never to judge someone's physical appearance or you know, whatever the difference or the uniqueness is, we don't comment, we don't make fun of, and we simply support. And that's how Ellie had been raised. When she hit high school, this is someone who's quite tall like her dad. I think she's gorgeous. She loves her sport. She's fit. She's doing really well academically. Hit year seven, she was torn to pieces, not from having a sister with a physical disability, about herself. You've got really big lips. Your eyes are really far apart. You've got really funny hair. And because we had told her it is never okay to judge someone on their physical appearance, she had zero. I So I felt I had done a really bad job as a mum preparing Ellie because our focus perhaps had been on how the world was going to view Rosie. I hadn't prepared Ellie on how she was to deal with people when they were being mean to her. And so my message is, People are going to meet, be mean, disability or no disability. I do obviously understand there's, you know, is there a, a higher chance of that happening? I feel the intrigue is there, but I was shocked by how she was treated going into those teenage years. So for me, when Rosie has those moments, I go, is this about you having a physical disability or is this about the other person just being mean. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's so true, isn't it? Like we're, I don't know if these are the right words, but we're so focused in our, what's in our lane and in our view. So I worry about my daughter. You were worried about Rosie. We didn't stop to think that that's all kids are going to have moments in their life that they find challenging. And our role as a parent is to help guide them through that and help build their resilience so that they can face anything that comes their way, you know, but I think we get I don't, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but for me as a mum, sometimes it's almost like I assume it's going to happen for one of my children because she's got a condition. I don't even know that I've really considered it for my other two. And now you're saying that, I'm like, God, have I prepared them? Like, <laughs> It's amazing just listening to you speak around that awareness piece. Like we don't know it till we go through it, right? It's like becoming a yes. new mom. You, no one yes. can tell you, no one can explain to you what sleepless nights are going to be like, or, you know, it's not until you're in it. Yes, absolutely. I used to describe it as the um, mother hippo hormone when we're out, you know, we're just wait. Actually, it's a bit like the meerkat really. We're waiting for it. We're waiting for the world, you know, what you're going to throw at my child who is different. But So it's really humbling for me when something happens to Ellie, I go, yeah, okay, this happened, this can happen to anyone. And it's really good for Rosie to see like, you know what, this is what Ellie has experienced today. She doesn't have a physical disability. People aren't looking at her in the street, but she hurts the same as you. The hurt is still the same. For me, that's a little bit, I guess, leveling 
that I think we can as mums go like, you know, I'm waiting for this to happen, this horrible experience for my child. We can all go through those horrible experiences, I guess, is my, my message. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And how do you manage the family with going to Westmead, having the appointments, getting bombs thrown at you? Like how do you guys manage as a family unit? It's something that we never expected we would be dealing with. You never have that in your life plan. So in the early days, Ellie would stay with my my parents were really great. She would stay with them and so she was ha- having a fun time and we would go down and do the appointment with Rosie. And I, actually only this year Ellie has said, I feel I had to grow up a lot faster than potentially Rosie has had to because, you know, at four and a half our world changed and it was like you have to be the big girl because this is what we're coping with. And, again, isn't it funny we keep coming back to it affects the entire family. I never knew she felt like that. But for her, she felt like i got to put on my big girl pants for everybody else so we can all survive. Mm. We always try to make it into a positive. So if we're going to Westmead, hey, why don't we go to the zoo as well? Why don't we go to the zoo the next day and make it this so it wasn't this daunting thing. It's just like this is a family adventure and we're going to have lots of fun. We do exactly the same thing. We make it a family holiday and I'm waiting for my girls to get older and to be speaking to a counsellor one day and say, we got robbed of family holidays because I think we probably can count on our hands how we have a lot of family holidays. If people are looking from the outside in, they'd be like, they're always away. We're going to Sydney for medical tests in three weeks time and we're having five days and we think we might shoot off to Melbourne. For other people, they'll be like, oh, they're having this beautiful holiday, but it's around a medical appointment so that we can kind of disguise it. Yes, absolutely. And I was thinking about that today. Yeah. I don't think some people realize, regardless of what happens at an appointment, your care relief might be over the next day. So you have to front it at your job and put on your average Joe face. It's like living two lives. And I'm sure you can relate to this. And I almost could have like an assistant. Like you have to then front up to the rest of the world, like average Joe, like, and, and get on with it. No matter what you have heard in that appointment, life kicks on. The sun's going to come up tomorrow and you've got to keep rolling. And sometimes that's incredibly hard. And I don't think the rest of the world realizes that it's, it's hard for the entire family because you've got this little thing. There's this little cloud. Okay, so we have to go back to see whether that surgery is going to happen or whether the eight plates, she's got some little eight plates in her legs at the moment and they've been in there for two or three years. And so every appointment we go, are we going to find out when they're going to be removed? And so there's this whole, it's like living in two worlds. That's how I would describe it. And it can be really tricky and really exhausting 
but you can't say to your job or to the rest of the world, I just can't do today because it's hard because the expectation is that you front up and you keep going. Mm. And I think that's something definitely I relate with. Our whole family says how nice it'd be to have a leave pass for a couple of days. But once you're through the crisis, there's this like, it's all, I describe it like a jet lag from medical. It's like the whole family has jet lag. We're all fatigued. We're all trying to get back, but the world sees it as in, oh, you're through that crisis. Like, yes, let's, yes. let's just get on back on with life. And it's like, you got to get back up to speed with life. Yes. That's a great analogy. And even when you explain it, like, oh gosh, you know, because you might've been up all night worrying about what you have heard. But when you explain that to someone who is not in that position, of course, and it, I would be the same. They have no understanding because that, that's not on their radar. They don't get what you mean. And that's okay. But I think it's good to talk about and for people to have awareness. If there's someone in your workplace who has a child with a condition or a disability, they may be being a duck on the water, but, you know, and swimming beautifully, but their little legs might be just paddling really hard underneath the water. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And what advice would you have for someone going through these kind of appointments? I know it's different for everyone with lots of different conditions and lots of different family circumstances and family dynamics as well. But if you were to look back on your time, you've, you've been doing it for a good over a decade now. What advice would you have for someone that's kind of got a long road ahead of them? I always describe it as in, we're not in a sprint. We're not in a hundred meter sprint anymore. We're in this like multi-day triathlon. And so you've got to gear up for that. Like if you keep thinking that you're only ever in it for this really short burst, you will burn out and fatigue and the wheels fall off much quicker. Whereas if you've got this more sustained approach that long-term it may help. What has helped your family? I think I love that analogy of the marathon. Just do today. Just do today. Just do the first step. Get to the appointment because we're worrying about what's happening there. Just do that first step. And be kind to yourself and be, wow, we got here on time. We navigated the traffic. Then do the next step. Breathe. I think I love, and I think it was Dylan in a previous podcast, the power of breathing is amazing. And and I do this with my students all the time. Stop. And I'm using that four breaths all the time now with kids and it's so they can feel the difference immediately and in a medical appointment or while you're in the waiting room and you have to wait there for nearly two hours do your four breaths you know in and out you have to be kind to yourself and you don't need to justify yourself or your family to anybody that was really hard for me at the beginning with the diagnosis oh now we have to it's like this horrible thing I have to tell the world, well, you know what? There's no rule book. You do it how you want to do it. And in fact, we hardly told anybody because that's how we chose. Why do I have to justify my child's existence or her medical condition to anyone? And sometimes when I did tell people, there was like, oh, yeah, I've seen short stature people on the telly, whatever, hang up the phone and never heard from them again. And I kind of felt like, I actually probably didn't even owe them that. And for some reason, I felt I did owe them that. Looking back now, you don't owe anybody anything because you're just doing your best to do each day 
and reaching out to people in a similar situation, I just found, oh, it was just a blessing to meet other short statured adults. I loved that because I could see Rosie's future and they are amazing people and short statured families who, you know, have average height parents and weren't expecting this journey but are on the same journey as us. So connect and thank goodness, I don't know how people did this without the internet. Get in touch with other people. As you see fit, there is no rule book. You're making up the rules for your family and for your child and you don't have to justify that to anybody because you're just trying to survive. Mm. And it's that balance, isn't it? It's that balance between when can you allow everyone in the family to drop and to grieve and to be pissed off and to, I said to the girls last week, I'm like, you have every right to be angry. Like, yes, we can all feel quite angry, but we need to move through this. And it's how we display that anger that makes a real difference. And it's how we be here for each other. But there's that balance between when can you all drop emotionally? When can you all drop the ball from life? Because you do, you have to hit the pause button and, and, life goes on pause and you're in this kind of other land for a while and then you pop back into life Mm. versus when do you actually be like everyone has challenges and this is just our challenge and like you said earlier around my younger siblings and Rosie's older sibling, like they're going to go through their own stuff and we don't say whether one's bigger than the other. You know, losing one leg is horrendous. You can always lose two, but losing one is bad. And so it's this this balance between grieving, gratitude, you know. I try really hard. I know you've talked about this, Prudy, around gratitude's a strategy you use and we use it all the time. I often say to myself, I'm so grateful that ours is only – for a moment each year, even though those moments are terribly hard, I'm so grateful that we're not dealing with it every day. But gratitude can also warp your sense of reality because it doesn't allow you to grieve or doesn't allow you to be pissed off or doesn't allow you to be fearful. Or So it's this balance between how do we have all the emotions in a resourceful, safe, healthy way and where do we get those supports from and what are the things that we can use to get through those moments? You've summed that up really well, Al's. And what comes from that is, yeah, you've got to do what fits right for your family and what works in one family doesn't necessarily work for yours. And I do believe in the power of gratitude and when we're all feeling down, we go around the the kitchen table, give me five things you're grateful for today. And in the car we use that a lot. I don't want to go to school today and, and, you know, when Rosie's anxiety, if there's something that she's worried about that's happening that I don't even know about, I just think gratitude, and you're right, you look for, okay, this is what I'm dealing with, but have a think about what some other people are dealing with. And and I guess at the end of the day, to sum it all up, you know, you could sum up every religion in the world. The reality is, as human beings, there's two words that can help us get through life and help our colleagues and our friends and our family and people we don't know but we might pass in the street. Be kind. That's all you have to do as a human being. Be kind, I believe. It's a beautiful way. The podcast that um, I think we spoke about, it was number eight with Brody talking about that. We talked about it at the end and I thought we'd be ch- like cutting that bit out because our podcast went for so long. But then I thought, no, don't, don't chop that bit out because he was talking about kindness and it's so important and very few people feel bad, awful, low when they're being kind for others. 
you know, when we do an act of kindness, whether that be kindness through our time or through things that we're giving or through words that we say, it's generally most people feel really good in that space. So everyone wins. Absolutely. I think you're right. You're doing something positive for the other person who might need a hand up. And exactly, you get a buzz out of being that kind person. Absolutely. And Prue, if you were to think back to a younger version of yourself before, perhaps even before you were married and before you had kids, is there any advice that you would give to your younger self? I think knowing that we're all walking along the same path and in front of us there are all going to be different size puddles. Sometimes you're going to fall into the puddle and hopefully somebody will be there to pull you out. Sometimes you pull yourself out. Sometimes you can jump over the puddle. But I think it's really, really important to remember that Sometimes it can be fun to jump into the puddle and splash about. Mm, That's beautiful. If we could change anything in society from your experience for anyone that has a short statue child or member of the family, what is one thing that we as listeners can do that would make a difference in your world and Rosie's world? Wow, that is my mind is racing on how to respond to that I'm thinking you know the whole world is not built for short statured people whether it's using a public toilet using an ATM ordering something you know Rosie's of that age where she wants to order her milkshake or whatever at the counter half the time they can't even see that she's there I don't know I think the world and you know with wheelchairs as well we've got a lot of work to do in making the world here we go making the world accessible for everyone because we kind of design it for adults who are average height and, you know, adults who are short-statured want to have a job. Actually, this this little story probably highlights what I mean, where I can remember shopping in Majin in Big W for Rosie's first birthday. You know, you go all out with the balloons and party bags and the lollies and I ran into someone who I hadn't seen since she'd been born and didn't know the whole story. So I gave the very short version and um, she happened to be the manager at a store and she said, oh, that's so funny because I was interviewing people for a job and one of them was short-statured and she was the best person for the job but she didn't get the job because I just felt that potentially she wouldn't be able to manage physically, you know, putting things on shelves, etc. And my heart, I just, it's one of those moments where you want to scream and, and, and point out the injustice in that scenario. And I'm looking at this beautiful blonde-haired girl who I'm like yeah. is going to take over the world and you just say to me that, employment, you know, like I, I was for that this is where we're still 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 up to. And clearly as a short statured person, you have to prove yourself harder. And you know, if you want that job, you're gonna to have to work a little bit harder and prove and show that you can do it, which is a bit sad. Well that wasn't twenty twenty two, but you know, I hope we make progress 
in that area. That blows my mind. Yeah. Mm, we need to make progress. It's not, I hope we make progress. We need to make progress in that area. And, you know, when we think about discrimination in the workplace, anyone that's listening, this is why it's so important that we have policies around this because of what we're saying right here, right now, for someone to miss out on a job because of their size, even yes. though they're the best person for the job, just yes. oh, blows my mind that that's yeah. still current. And Pruie, I really want to also mention you have written a book for those that do not know, Rosie May Blue, Mayhem at the Pet Show. Tell us in your words about the book and how people can find it. Okay. So this, from another little story that I had with when I first took Rosie to a music class, I was so apprehensive about how everyone was going to react. And again, that's the mother's feelings, isn't it? You know? what we are putting on that experience. And thankfully, there was someone in that class who's also a teacher and she said, you've been put in this position for a reason. And she just kept saying to me, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And I started writing this book, Rosie May Blue, years and years and years ago and my beautiful sister is the illustrator and no one could capture the very essence. We really wanted the illustrations to be whimsical and romantic and and she's just hit that you know no one else but my sister could do that because she knows Rosie and the situation so well and so I'll be ever indebted to her for doing that anyway in a nutshell this story I don't use the word achondroplasia the main protagonist is short that could mean anything she has a difference because lots of our kids out there have a difference and it's her little journey on starting a new school and what that looks like there's mean girls it's how um, she and her best friend respond to that. Her best friend happens to be super tall. Um, and But I didn't want it to be one of those books that, oh, your child has a disability or achondroplasia, read, get them to read this. I want this to be an inclusive book. I want it to be for everybody and I wanted it to be interesting. So as an avid reader, I, I had to throw mystery in there. There's a fabulous mystery and secret that comes out It's full of animals. It's full of horses because I want everyone to enjoy it. And if people can get a little message out of that and go, I could use that tactic. I've tried to be really sneaky as a teacher, I guess, to put little messages through it because I want everyone to get something out of it. It's for everybody. And the mystery is definitely in there because... When I was reading it, I was reading the first few pages. I was like, oh, this is really lovely. And then I then I got to the page turner and I was like, what? What just, whoa, I need to read yeah. more. Like what just happened? And I don't want to give it away to the listeners, but I really was sitting there. And Jess said to me, mom, what are you reading? Like you're really <sighs> interested in that. I was like, oh, you wait till you read it. <laughs> so how do people buy the book? Where We'll put it in the show notes as well. But if, if people are wanting to buy the book, where do they get it from? Our fabulous local bookstores in Armadale have it on their shelves, but we can also it can also be found at our on the internet just under rosymayblue.com and we'd love it for people to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're always putting little crazy adventures up there with our animals on our farm. So yeah, you definitely have a check out rosymayblue.com. That would be amazing. And my final question for you today, Prui, is who in your world makes you truly belly laugh? Like, I mean, really belly laugh. I have a beautiful friend who I worked with for 15 years, two people. Can I choose two? And Rona is the first one. She was the admin, in charge of admin at the school I worked at for 15 years. And whenever I speak, I only speak to her 
now that we've moved back up here, I don't speak to her a lot. And one of Rosie's godmothers, Sarah, who was my best support, these two ladies, it is that belly laugh, which is like medicine, isn't it? You just, I can't help but smile when I think about them because they know me so well and I just love the feeling that they give me and there's nothing better, there's no better medicine than a good belly laugh. So thank you, Sarah and Rona, for being those people in my life. And thank you so much, Pruie, for coming on. For the listeners, we've had um, pretty poor reception today. So I'd ask a question and then there'd be like 10 or 15 seconds lag and then Prue would answer and then I'd try and ask a question, but she was halfway through. And so I have no idea how this interview will work out, but I'm sure there's a lot of value in there for many people. And I know, Prue, this is one of the first times that you've spoken about your story. So thank you so much for sharing around your whole family and what you guys guys have been through. Yeah, I always say I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but geez, it really does make you stronger, doesn't it? What doesn't kill you does make you stronger. It's just shit that we have to go through it sometimes to get out the other side. Um, I I know it's a cliche, but it does, I hope it makes me a better person. I really hope that. Uh, I strive to be a better person. And I just wanted to say thank you, Als, for giving me the opportunity to speak about it because I think mums in particular or that primary carer There are so few places to go and so if this can be the start of people talking about it and reaching out and and not feeling isolated and all thinking, I felt like that too, so it must be okay. It is okay. So thank you for the amazing job you're doing with this podcast. It is just touching people's lives. Thank you. As you can tell, this episode was close to both of our hearts. You don't want your child to have a cold, let alone something that may impact their entire life. If anyone out there has a family member or friend that is going through a similar situation, remember that sometimes when they come out of that medical crisis, they are still completely exhausted. That as a parent, their mind doesn't stop worrying about the future, about their children, about everyone in their family and their relationship with their partner. I want to give a massive shout out to the schools where our children, both Prue and mine, have attended and to the teachers and support staff that have helped raise our children. Sometimes I think we would not be where we are right now if it wasn't for that unconditional support, encouragement and love. To Rosie and her family, may you go out and change the world with your courageous spirit of resilience. The challenges that change us community are behind you every step of the way. And for our listeners out there today, I want you to reach out to someone in your world that you know that is having a hard time lately and send them a text, a card, an email, give them a phone call, and just let them know that you are beside them and you are thinking of them. And we will see you all next week. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.